0: Not going to hide not going to stop and absolutely going to surprise you. Three parables told by Jesus, not going to hide, not going to stop and absolutely going to surprise you. How do we get here? Let's do a little little review. Remember, I think it was just last Sunday, uh, there were three questions that were brought to Jesus, each one of them challenging his everything. Uh, The Pharisees, uh, the scribes, others, the Herodians, they don't like how he's not like them. He doesn't fit into their mold. And the reason he doesn't fit into their mold is because he is the son of God and they are usurpers of his power. That is, they are those who took his kingdom, which is given for the grace of God to be showered on all people, especially the poor, and they turn it in a way to make their best life right now. And he comes to speak with them and it is conflict conflict, and clash. And remember, he's also, meanwhile, casting out diseases left and right. He talks to fevers, for goodness sakes. And while he's doing that, there's also these demons that just start screaming at him out of the crowd. So someone over there is saying, that's the Son of God. He's like, be quiet, get out of here. That's left and right. That's how we got here. And then this Wednesday, if you come into midweek services, you're getting even more Mark. This Wednesday, uh, we heard about the sending of 12 more preachers. Jesus came to preach and cast out demons. Now he appoints 12 specific guys. He sends them to preach and it says very clearly to cast out demons. The battle against the darkness is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are simply enslaved to the greater spiritual evil. These 12 casters are sent out to remove demons from the land. And the next thing that happens is his enemies, the Pharisees, say he's the demon. They say he only has this power because he's the demon. And so he says, I'm not the demon. I'm here to cast out the demon. And following this, again, is then the parable of the sower like right after that, you have a demon, a sower scattered seed. Some fell on the ground where there's a path. Some fell where there's rocks. Some fell where there's weeds. Some fell where there was none of those other three things. Seemed pretty clear. That which fell on the path, the devil is a crow, and he comes and he steals. He takes the word of God away. That which falls on the rocky soil, it is faith. It believes, but it doesn't send down a root into that faith, but rather when the sun rises, that is when trial comes, the desire to avoid suffering squelches and squeezes the faith to death. Similarly, the weeds squeeze and squirm the faith down to nothing anymore, but rather than by means of suffering, the weeds are a matter of pleasure right? So uh, the rocks are, I'm avoiding suffering. The weeds are, I'm chasing pleasure. Both of these things do have the habit of destroying your faith. It it doesn't mean that, that these things are in your life. You don't have faith. Remember, the point of the parable is that the good seed, which is the word of God, falls on soil that hears and believes it and holds it. That is the production of fruit, and that's what's happening this very moment to you. You are hearing the word of God. You are trying the best as your sinful flesh can to keep it. And that means God is in fact planting it in you and making it to bear fruit. So the parable of the sower is really explained by a little nugget between its telling and it's explanation to the disciples in which God says, the key to the parables is that Jesus is the key to the parables. He tells these stories so those who don't believe he is the son of God will be confused by him. But to you who know who he is, they are really quite evident. The sower sows the seed. Jesus plants the word. It's planted in you. You have faith. Behold, the gospel has come. The kingdom reigns. And it's not going to hide it's not going to stop. It's absolutely going to surprise you. Three more parables right after this. right? And this is then Mark chapter 4, verse 21. It's on page 839 of your pew Bible. Most of this parable text also is in your bulletin uh, this morning for you. First parable, Mark four twenty one. He said to them, Is a the lamp brought in to be put under a basket? or under a bed and not on a stand. Now, now maybe you don't think of that as a parable because it's kind of short, right? You you think a parable is a little longer, but everything that comes after this is him explaining the parable. The parable is just, you know, the parable of a lamp. And he's talking about an oil burning lamp, right? Uh, That you would, you know, maybe a candle is a closer thing to that for us, right? So if you think about when you light a candle in your house, what do you do with it, right? Put it in a corner where you can't see it? Oh, you put it up where it shows light everywhere. It's not, a, it's not a trick, right? There's no mystery to the parable. The parable is really obvious. Uh, you can't hide light. And Jesus is, is not going to hide. No matter what they do, no matter what is hidden, no matter how much they try to push down. Remember how he's even said to people, don't tell them about me. But, but now here he says, there is, there is nothing hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. And then he says, second time he said this in the gospel, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's the end of that whole section, parable, explanation, and that little ears to hear part, which he won't say again in this section of parables, but he did say it after the parable of the sower. I think he's driving you back to say, do you know the parables about Jesus? Because if you don't know that the parable of the sower is about Jesus, then you won't know that all the parables are about Jesus. And so you'll get them all wrong. You'll think it's about, I don't know, random stuff. But if Jesus is the lamp that's been brought into the world, if he's the son of God who has entered history, guess what? He's not going to hide. He's not going to be able to be hidden. And everything that has been hidden about him or oppressed is only going to be able to show how he overcomes and overthrows. You can't stop the light from shining. Verses 24 and 25 now are not a parable. So I said we have three parables, but we have three parables in a sandwich. That is, one parable is your top slice of bread, and two parables are your bottom slice of bread, and then there's some meat in the middle. And again, he just did this with the parable of the sower. You got... The parable itself, the story, is the top slice of bread. And Jesus answering the question, what does it mean, is the bottom slice of bread. And if you look at the text on the page, right in the middle is like five verses, right? The little little sandwich in the middle. Mark does this all the time. It's kind of a key to Mark. As you can see, oh, he's driving at something. He starts one story. He stops it, says something else, then comes in, completes the story. The relationship of these two are going to explain what Mark wants you to see, right? So when he puts something that's not a parable between two parables, well, that means pay more attention to this. And for that reason, we're going to skip it and come back to it at the end. Because that's the way we do it in the West. We, we build up to the conclusion, right? And we don't put it in the middle the way the, way the Easterners do. But the, the East does. And this is, you know, India, this is China, everybody. Um, we're, we're linear, we're clock-oriented, and they're less so. But they're changing, yada, yada. We're going to skip it. Second parable then verse 30 he said with what can we compare the kingdom of god or what parable shall we use for it what an interesting line right there jesus asked this question i mean i guess you could say it's just rhetorical like he's just trying to like get you to think about it but remember how mark's all about the humanity of jesus i mean can you imagine jesus being so actually human That he gets so excited that he kind of goes like, "Ah, what should I say right now? And then he thinks about what he had thought about earlier and he says it. Can you see that without it being sinful? That's the question. And if you can't, then then you you have to say he didn't do that, right? But I think that he could be so excited as a man that he would have uh, experience like a man of of losing a moment and saying instead, again, what shall I compare the kingdom to? I know, verse 31, it's like a grain of sand excuse me, (laughs) grain of mustard seed. Well, not quite the same size. It's like a grain of mustard seed, uh, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds of the earth. But now I'm noticing I have skipped the second parable in my attempt to skip the middle section. Did y'all catch that with me? You're all waiting for me to find it, right? Throw a tomato next time. Uh, Let's go back to the second parable. Goodness gracious, we kind of waste a minute there. Second parable is verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now the story goes longer here than one verse. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. He's getting poetic. He's getting poetic. He's really into this story quite a bit. Yeah. But when the grain is ripe and once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come, and now no explanation to this one. Right now we're back to where I just took us a moment ago. With what shall we compare to the kingdom of God? He gets you know so excited about it. So what's going on here? It's it's a beautiful story. It made sense all the way through. There's seed that's on the ground, farmer goes away, grows, farmer comes back and harvests it, right? Not going to hide. Not going to stop. The kingdom of God comes without you doing anything. The farmer, as much as a farmer does, don't let me ever you know be heard to say farmers don't work hard. As much as a farmer does, he doesn't make the crop grow. Nothing he does makes that plant grow. God makes that plant grow. So also then, the word of God, creating faith in your life, in your personal heart, in your family's life, around your dinner table here at this communion here, that is all up to God to do, and he's not going to stop. Like a seed that grows, he, he's not going to stop, he's going to bring life, life doesn't stop. That's, the, that's part of the gospel again, Jesus died, uh, Jesus rose, right, or I should say it this way, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, life can't stop. Not true life, not real life, not eternal life, not the life that is God. It can't stop. Jesus has put that life back into man and then gave that life into death in order to give it back to you. huh? And so, like a seed thrown on the ground and then just walks away, the word of God Jesus plants upon the earth going to do its job. The kingdom of God is not going to stop. No one can put it down. In fact, history has shown that anyone who tries to violently subjugate Christians only increases the number of people who believe in it. It's a weird thing. You know. Pastors sometimes talk about this. Like, should I actually pray for persecution? Because I know I'd have more members there. Is that true? I don't know entirely, right? But, but the idea is there that when we suffer, we hunger for God more. And we are able to see that he is there for us behind the suffering, right? I'm sitting here trying to make that seed grow and I finally fail in my own eyes. I finally give up and then it grows anyway. I have to go, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not God after all, right? And I know you don't have the thought every morning, I'm God. Like you don't have to think that through in order to act like it. But you wake up with a flesh that actually thinks that every single morning, right? So isn't it kind of, Good news, I I think this parable is the gospel. It's good news that the way God sees his kingdom coming into our life is that he's gonna plant a seed and make it grow in your life. Like, it's just it, that's it. That's the kingdom of God, right? And now he gets so excited, like I did a moment ago that I jumped ahead. Uh, With what shall I compare uh, the kingdom of God? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds of the earth, yet when it is, Grown, excuse me, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This one's probably the most familiar of the three parables to you. Uh, the mustard seed idea has been around cultural Christianity for a while. It is a hopeful idea, and so uh, it is Sad to me that sometimes that idea gets a little twisted and, and becomes something of a burden to people, wherein they believe that, it's from a different parable, but they're tied together, that if I just have faith the size of a mustard seed, then this thing I've wanted forever w- will, will come to me. And so they burden themselves trying to create just a little more faith so they can get, I don't know, whatever it is, healing. You know, a good friend. But the point is, they've come to believe that they need to manufacture their own faith to get God to give them things. What a horrible, horrible way to live every day. Whereas the point of the story coming out of, it's not going to hide, it's not going to stop. God's doing this, is that this kingdom of God that's not going to hide, not going to stop. Right at this moment in history where Jesus is there, you can barely see it. You can barely see it. And, and, and that continues, I think, to some extent to this day. Because honestly, when you baptize a baby, you can barely see it. Like, I, I don't actually see the Holy Spirit at all. The only way I see God working in baptism at all is I believe the words that I hear about the water as it pours. right, At the Lord's Supper, right. you, you can't see it. You can't see Jesus' body and blood. You can break it open. You can break it down, put it under a microscope. You're not going to find body and blood particles down there. Because again, the grain of mustard seed, it's going to surprise you. It's going to become something that doesn't look like it's going to become. And, and not just, I mean, seed to flower is a pretty crazy transition by itself, right? But now he's just saying that the smallest of them becomes like this grand bush. You can't tell what's coming. But it's not going to hide. It's not going to stop. Now, what, what happens next Uh, that we're gonna dig into verse by verse at the later service. You can always catch those sermons online or on YouTube. But what happens next is everything he just said takes place again, where he is gonna refuse to hide what he is, who he is, what he can do. He's not gonna stop confronting the darkness and he's gonna surprise everybody. So much so that the people who he helps the most are gonna ask him to go away. Uh, it's just too much. And, and these stories often are not told together. They often show up in lectionaries. So you're familiar with these two stories I'm about to share, um, but you probably don't usually hear them right next to each other. And the first one is that Jesus and his disciples get onto a boat. The crowds are pretty heavy around them. They go out into the, into the Sea of Galilee and a big storm comes, right? Now, what I want you to do for a moment um, is not... I want you to convince yourself that the Sea of Galilee is actually more like the ocean than like a lake. Okay? I want you to hear the difference. The, the Great Lakes, the Lake Michigan, you know, it's not the ocean. It's not the ocean. That's a big, big body of water, and you go out there on a little boat that's 10 feet long, and a storm comes, and you might as well be on the ocean a little bit. I mean, it's not a nor'easter out in the North Atlantic, but it's, it's going to be rough, okay? Okay. And this is the way the Sea of Galilee was as well. It's a great lake. It is an ocean to the minds of the people who live and work on it. They're adrift at sea, and the worst kind of storm that could possibly come upon them in their experience in Galilee does. (laughs) They get one of these huge storms that blow off of the Mediterranean and sweep in, and the waves are coming into the boat, all this stuff, and you remember this, right? Jesus is, had a little nap. I mean, he's been working Right? There's the humanity again. Like He just had to close his eyes for a few minutes there. And they freak out and they say, aren't you afraid we're going to die, Jesus? They, they get him to wake up and Jesus does something that is going to surprise you. Right? He doesn't hide. He doesn't stop. He, we don't really say he calms the storm. That's so nice the way that that sounds. He calms the storm. I mean, he, he silences nature with a word. You know, I've been working with this German shepherd we adopted eight months ago, and, and he's, he's getting better. He's got his moments, but like, you know, I can go like, and he'll go, like, he'll look at me because he knows, he knows it's not what he's supposed to be doing. What am I doing? Doing wrong. Right? Silence him with a word. That's, that's what Jesus does with the sea when it's in a rock and storm. Add to this something uh, that most Americans don't think, which is that in the ancient world, pagan or Hebrew, the sea was the abode of the dead and of demons themselves. It was the pathway to the underworld of Hades. Most of what you know about Hades from Greek mythology, the Hebrew peoples believed some kind of version of that, probably more more orthodox, um, but nonetheless, they saw in the sea uh, the power of the great evil gods Even to the level where the word sea in Hebrew, yam, is the name of the god of the sea. Uh, Like Poseidon, right? That's it, yam. That's just the word that the Hebrews used for talking about water and big things, was that god. And so here they are in the midst of this great thing where Poseidon is attacking them. And they think this is like Leviathan, the devil's abode, attacking them. And Jesus says, shut up. And it goes down immediately. It is calm. And they ask this question, whoa, we thought he would help us bail or something, right? Who is this guy? It's a huge question. Who is this guy? And they get off the boat onto the area on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes this whole spreads called the Decapolis. um, But here it's, I think, called the, the Gerardines. It's also called the area of the Gerasenes. It gets off, and you've heard this story before. There's this guy who lives in the graves, right? Who likes to practice various forms of sorcery by cutting himself and uh, doing all sorts of kind of witchcrafty, necromancy stuff. And people have come out to try to, get a hold of him because he's nuts. He's off his rocker, and they bind him, and they can't keep him bound even with chains. And this guy, as soon as Jesus steps off the boat, is running at them down the seashore, screaming about how Jesus is the son of God and how it's not fair for him to be here yet. And, and Jesus does something that I don't recommend ever doing as a non-incarnate you know, incarnate son of God. Uh, he has a conversation with the demon for a moment. Uh, this is not good advice. Demons lie to you, and, and maybe that's kind of what he's showing, but he asked the demon its name, and he, he tells, the demon says, he, they, say, the name is Legion, Legion. A Legion is a number of troops in the Roman military, uh, bigger than a platoon, but, but like that idea. Um, their name is Legion. Now, it, it could be that this is just a single demon named Legion. All the idea that this is an actual legion of demons in him, I, I'm not sure that it's guaranteed, but that is the way it's normally heard. Right, that there's actually that many demons inside of this guy, and then uh, Jesus begins to command the demons to come out of him, and uh, they uh, they say, "Instead, can you send us into those pigs over there?" Which, again, if you take yourself out of I've heard this before, and put this in, this is the first time you've heard this story. That's just got to be the weirdest move ever. But the demons want to they want to go into pigs. That what? That's so weird. Wouldn't they rather like go about in waterless spaces haunting the wastes until they can come back and find the house swept clean and move in again? Right? Like, I mean, Uh, but instead uh, they want to go in these pigs. And then Jesus is like, sure thing. Which also is like, well, why why is he doing that? Now, remember, what are pigs to the Hebrew? Those are unclean animals right there. Those are gross. That's gross. You eat pig gross. Like that's the way they would see this. Alright. So the pigs are a picture of uncleanness. What's a demon again? Do you remember this from like two weeks ago? What kind of spirit is a demon? It's unclean. Oh, look at that. And so now the unclean wants to join with the unclean. And Jesus says, sure, I'll put the unclean things together. And then what happens? They all run into the sea. The one he just has complete control over, right? The one that is the abode of Hades and death. Well, there they go, the demons into the abyss. They're gone. And Jesus is sitting there with this other guy standing in his right mind, talking to him now holy moly, who is this guy? Not going to hide. Not going to stop. And absolutely going to surprise you. The guy in his right mind wants to come with Jesus. I think we're going to see him kind of again in the story. I'm, I'm reading between the lines here a bit, but you know, Jesus tells him he can't come with him and makes him stay there. and says, go tell your family, tell your friends what happened. I mean, he has family and friends. It's been a while, I imagine, since he's gone and had dinner. You know, um, So Jesus leaves. Jesus will come back to this shore uh, sometime later in the text. And there are so many people here that are waiting for him. And they're all like, we heard what you did. And he starts doing it again. So there's, there's a moment here where this guy is actually going to go and be the light that can't be hidden, that doesn't stop it absolutely surprises you because he's not an apostle. He doesn't have the power to cast out demons. All he's got is Jesus fixed my soul and a whole crowd's going to come meet Jesus because of what he says. Now, I could try to turn this into some sort of like little, now you go be a missionary nonsense. I'd rather you hear it as this is just what God's going to do to you. <laughs> That's what he's going to do to you. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's going to pull you out of whatever dregs you found, the thorns and the rocky soil on either side that always taunt you. He's going to drag you through that, clean you up, and set you on a pedestal shining with his own light for all eternity. And this is an oath he has sworn not only to our father Abraham, but to you specifically in the waters of your holy baptism, which he confirms every single Sunday that you feast upon his resurrected body and blood. He's not going to hide. He's not going to stop. He's going to absolutely surprise the world, and you get to go along for the ride. You're not going to be able to be hidden. You're not going to be able to be stopped. And you're going to surprise even yourself with the power of your ability to trust the eternal word of God that enters you to give it to you. Now, we did skip over one little section, right? Let's let's go back to that little section that I said was sort of the meat of this. Back in verse 24 of chapter 4, where Jesus says then, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. All right. Let's look at the second verse first here, right? To the one who has, more will be given. This is not about your bank account, ever. This is about your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have some, You can just know, you're going to get more. From the one who has not, he doesn't know Jesus is the secret to the parables. Remember, that's what this is all about. Doesn't know he's the son of God. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He thinks he's got some God. He thinks he's got some faith, the, the, the pagan, right? He thinks he's, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? I love God. I'm a good person. You've heard it before. Even what he has will be taken away. But but for you who know that what you have, faith, is going to only increase, then you can also know with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is not about being saved. This is just about how much wisdom do you actually want. Because if the only devotional life you have is to read one Bible verse a day, followed by a paragraph of devotion about it, you'll get one kind of growth. Whereas if you read a psalm every day, a chapter out of some other book every day, a chapter out of the gospel every day, you're going to get a different kind of growth. And I would suggest to you, it's just going to, it's just going to be medium, faster. You know? I don't think it should be surprising. The measure you use, the measure you get. What goes in comes out. So now that you have the word of God going in, he's basically saying, so go get some more. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention. That's how it started. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear which I might suggest even means take a note, you know, write it down. No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. There wasn't pen and paper available right there by the Sea of Galilee. But, but the point is, remember it, right? Remember it. Pay attention to what you hear. Uh, Jesus is not going to hide. He's not going to stop. He's going to surprise the world. He already has. He is risen. Alleluia. And Dale and Valente, he is with us. Not something to doubt at all. Every step you walk, he has prepared for you that you might be an extension of his light shining in the darkness. That's a promise. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Since I did it again, I'm going to say one more thing. I can't stop saying that word. I can't. I know it's Lent. And I've had people say, Pastor, you're saying that word during Lent. And, and the thing is, I've worked so hard to get my little, I spill the coffee and I go, to turn into, hallelujah, that I do not want to stop praising Jesus even because it's Lent. right? So please bear with me. I'll try to keep it out of the sermons. But if it pops out, just, just know it's, it just means praise Jesus. Yeah, I won't say it again. Amen. <laughs>